I'm excited this morning to receive the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, I want to thank you that your word is alive, it is active, and it is full of power. God, we thank you that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish what you have sent it to accomplish. God, this morning, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind a deaf and a dumb spirit. God, that would hinder us from hearing accurately, from hearing your voice, God. May our ears be open to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. God, I bind a lying spirit that would want to lie and deceive your children. God, I ask this morning that you remove the veil of darkness. God, may our eyes of understanding be enlightened, I pray. May the scales from our eyes fall, that we may see and understand the things of God, I pray. God, today I prophesy life, I prophesy freedom, freedom, freedom in this place this morning. And I ask God now that you will anoint my lips silence any word I pray God that is not straight from the heart of the Father and I pray Holy Spirit you give me utterance may I speak the oracles of God I pray God may your kingdom come may your will be done in this house this morning in Jesus name amen amen so church, I, I'm going to ask this morning, I want to start off with a question, and I need people to be vulnerable and honest. You're going to preach with me this morning. Is that okay? You ready to preach this morning? All right. Who of you have felt like you've gone through a wall lately? It's felt like there's, on every side, there's been something, a battle raging, but, listen, but, you feel like you've just come through. Like, the end is in sight. Can you stand for me if that's you this morning? Remain standing. Then I want to speak to another group of people. Who of you feel like you are in the middle of a war? And the end is not in sight. But the waves are beating against your boat on every side. If that's you, can you stand this morning? Uh, people are being honest. I like this. So I want to say, church, look around. I want to encourage you this morning. You're not alone. You are not alone. And because you have stood this morning, and I, I believe the word that God has given me this morning is for every person standing. And maybe for those that should be standing. <laughs> but the word is for you this morning. Thank you. You may may take your seats. I want to cut straight to the chase this morning, but I want to say that the body of Christ is in a war. Do you believe that this morning? We are in a war. We have an enemy who is trying to take territory and doing all he can to defeat us. He is relentless. He is fierce and aggressive, and he does not have a merciful day. At no point does he look at you and think, well, shame, I think I've thrown enough at that one. Let's give him a break. 
Our enemy does not have a merciful day. And I've said this before and I'll say it again, that we are not on a playground. We are on a battleground. And as you look this morning, those standing, we see that their struggles are finances, marriages, friendships, business partners, in your workplace, in your homes with your children or children with parents, in your school, in your varsity, in your health. There is an attack on every side. But I want to say that as believers of Jesus Christ, our occupation is warfare. Can I say that again? Our occupation as believers is warfare. And if we can understand that this is who we are and what we've been called to do, we will not be so perplexed and confused and taken back every time the enemy strikes. Because the truth is, it's not about if he will strike, it's about when he will strike. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us that we have an enemy who is seeking to devour. But we need to be sober and we need to be vigilant and we need to be aware. And one of those ways is us understanding that we are in a war. The problem is, is the enemy wants to deceive us to believe that because I'm a Christian, because I give, I tithe, I potentially even serve in church, and I'm a pretty good person based on the world standard, that nothing should go wrong. Church, it's deception. Nowhere in the Word of God does it back this kind of thinking. Quite the contrary, the Word tells us this, in this life, you will have trouble. You will have trials and afflictions and persecutions. You will, but be of good cheer, for He has overcome. The problem is, is when we start to go into the war, being deceived, the minute the enemy strikes, we tend to throw our hands in the air and say, God, where were you? How could you allow this to happen? And what we start to do is we start to misunderstand who the enemy actually is. And we start to fight against God instead of with God. And have you ever wondered why the enemy attacks the way he does? Why he's relentless. Could it possibly be because he 100% absolutely believes what the word of God says about you and I? You see, he saw Jesus raised from the dead. And he knows that that same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and in me. He knows your potential. He also knows that if we have to start to believe what the Word says and we start to tap into everything that the Spirit has made available for us, that Him and His kingdom are in great danger. He knows that we have authority He will never have because the Word tells us that all authority has been given to us, which means He's been left with none. He also knows that he can form a weapon against you, but it will not prosper. You see, when he sees you and I, he sees the blood of Jesus smeared. And he knows that we overcome by the blood 
of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. He also understands that Jesus, your King, your Savior, your Redeemer, your Defender, your Friend, disarmed all powers and principalities at Calvary. And not only did he disarm them, he made a public spectacle of them for you and for me. You see, what the enemy wants to do is keep us as believers, as unbelievers, to believe half of what this book says, to not completely stand in our authority. And he throws things at us to keep us at a place of defeat. And so my question this morning, church, is, what if you and I believed like he did? What if we believed like our enemy did? Would it be safe to say that our speech and our conduct and our attitudes and our mindsets would be different? Because we would completely believe what this book says. And so this morning, I, I've titled my message, Strike the Ground. Yes, amen. I'm going to read from 2 Kings chapter 13. It will be on the screen. You can turn there if you want. 2 Kings 13, verse 14 to 19. Elisha had become sick with illness, of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hand. He said, Open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them, and, the, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him, and he said, should, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Many of us have heard the story before, and it's, it's a common Bible story. But as I read the story this week, the Lord just laid stuff on my heart as I started to see new, new revelation in this. And I want to share from my heart this morning. But we see in this passage that Joash, the king, runs to the prophet and he starts to weep. He's not weeping because the prophet's about to die. He's weeping because he sees the enemy is approaching. And Elisha, the prophet, says to him, take your bow and arrows. You see, he doesn't say to him, come, let's sit and have a coffee. Let me discuss this with you. Let me help you feel better about your situation. Let's talk this thing through. He doesn't do that. He says, pick up your weapon. You see, in essence, what Elisha is saying, it is not time for weeping. It is time for warring. 
And it is time to declare war on your enemy. Elisha puts his hand on the hand of the king. Elisha's hand is a representation of God's hand on us. It shows that our hand on our own is not enough. And we need the impartation of God in our lives, especially in the battle. And as I read the story, I started seeing a visual, and I'm going to ask my husband to help me. It's going to be a bit hard with the mic, but he said to me, please don't shoot that thing today. So Elisha says, put your hand on the bow. The king is obedient. Then Elisha puts his hand on the king's hand. Now I want you to see this visual. When we allow God's hand on us, suddenly we have his protection. We have his covering. I have the arms of the father around me. But I've got to choose to do things his way. His way. Now something else that happens is when I draw into the presence of God, I run into his presence and I start to say, God, show me what you want me to do. You see, the mouth of the the prophet is close to the ear of the king. Suddenly I start to hear the father speak. Suddenly I start to hear his strategy for war. And he starts to speak as I incline my ear to the voice of God. You can stay. Stay for a moment. I want to read another verse. I quite like this thing. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will remain secure and rest in the shadow of Almighty, whose power no enemy can withstand. His massive arms. Come back. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his, his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield keeping you from harm. Church, thank you. We need to understand that when we go to war, We have to start doing things God's way. The scripture tells us you can run to him. We have a choice. We can run to him and do it his way, or I can run from him and do it my way. But when I start to do things God's way, he starts to give me strategy and instruction for the battle. I want to give you some examples If someone's raised a false accusation about you, there's gossip and there's accusation going, listen, man's way is I have to justify myself. I have to explain my side of the story. Better yet, I'll put it all over social media so everyone can hear my side of the story. But the word of God tells us in Deuteronomy 32 that the Lord will vindicate his people. Isaiah 54 says, every tongue that is raised in judgment against you will be condemned. And it goes on to say, your vindication is from me, says Yahweh. 
You see, God has a different way of fighting. Maybe someone in a business deal has done you in with finances. Maybe you've tried to help a friend out and they've taken money from you. Listen, man's way of dealing with it, I'll get back what belongs to me. If you live in the south of Joburg, you make a couple of calls and a few heavies pull in and they get what belongs to you. God's way says he will repay you sevenfold. Maybe you've been hurt, deeply hurt by someone you care about. And you carry this brokenness and this hurt and it's turning into an offense and into hatred. And you're carrying unforgiveness. And listen, man's way says, I need to protect myself from that person. I need to show them how deeply they've hurt me. And they do not deserve my forgiveness nor a second chance. God's word says, you forgive those who do you wrong so that I may forgive you. You see, Jesus understood the fact that if we don't forgive, we become a prisoner. And he wanted the best for us. But he also understood that if we cannot release forgiveness, because you and I are in desperate need of grace and mercy and forgiveness, if we cannot show that to someone else, he withholds his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And so we see that scripture says, My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. And so oftentimes we're praying, God, can you just do this? God, can you just, and he does it a completely different way. But the truth is, is that when we go into war and we start to do things God's way, he starts to show a characteristic, an aspect, a facet of himself that we would have never experienced unless it was on the battlefield. Psalms 24 verse 8 says, Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. I don't know about you, church, but I want to do things God's way so that I can see him step in and display that characteristic about himself, a God of war on my behalf. As I run into his presence, as I take his word, and as I draw close to him, I allow his arms to wrap around me, him to place his hand on me, and he starts to whisper in my ear, strategy, strategy, strategy. We see here from the story that Elisha has now placed his hand on the king's hand, and now he starts to give strategy. He says, swing wide the east window. He does not say, swing wide the window, Grab a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and watch God do it all for you. He doesn't. He says, swing the window wide and shoot. Church, this means there's cooperation and there's participation that is needed from us if we want victory. We cannot sit back and ask God to do it all. I believe that the the swinging of the window... There comes a time, church, where we need to swing the window open and say, God, let light in and expose anything in my life 
where the enemy is at work. You see, had the king kept the window closed, he would not have let light in and he would not have been able to see where the enemy was. But what happens is when we open the window, we don't only expose the enemy, there's a risk that we make ourselves vulnerable, right? Because when he swung open the window, he could see the enemy, but now the enemy can also see him. But there comes a point where we have to say, God, I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm asking you to reveal and expose anything in my life. Let your light shine on sin. Reveal it. You see, we cannot keep the window of sin closed and concealed in our lives and expect God to set us free. It's impossible. It's like asking him to remove the enemy, but I've handcuffed myself to him and I'm dragging him everywhere I go because I do not want to confess. I don't want God to deal with the sin. And what we need to do is we need to say, God, show me areas in my life where the enemy is gaining entry and he's taking territory. May I swing that window wide? And then I need to confess my sin and I need to repent. You see, repentance is the change of the way I think about my sin, about God, and about myself. Too often we look at our sin and I justify it. Unforgiveness, I justify. I justify why I don't have to forgive this person. And we start to make excuses for our behavior and our sin. And it's time for us to call sin, sin. And to confess it and repent and turn and start to follow God. Change the way I look at my sin. And allow the Holy Spirit to highlight areas in my life that is allowing the enemy to gain entry. I also want to say that we need to get to a place where we can say, God, Anything in my life that is contrary to you, your kingdom, your will, and your word, make war with it. That's a scary prayer. That is a scary prayer. But we need to ask God to expose and remove things in our life that are grieving his heart. That's giving the enemy a legal right to attack you. We cannot defeat the enemy while we tolerate and entertain him. Acts 3 verse 19 says, Repent, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Elisha now says to him, Shoot the arrow of deliverance. The arrow of God's victory goes out before us, church. He goes before us and he creates victory in the spirit realm. Do we believe that? Pastor Robert Morris says deliverance and discipleship go hand in hand because you cannot disciple a demon and you cannot cast out the flesh. And we need wisdom to know what we're dealing with. That strategy, God speaking to our ear. Matthew 18 verse 18 says, and I want you to listen carefully. It says, receive this truth. Church, receive this truth this morning, that whatever you forbid on earth, whatever you bind on earth, consider it, listen, it says consider it bound in heaven. It says receive this truth, that whatever you have bound on earth, consider it done in heaven. 
We need to start believing that as we take our authority in the spirit realm, the arrow of deliverance, of victory, has gone forth. The victory has gone forth, church. We have to start to believe that. Too often, we try and fight things in the natural when it's actually a spiritual battle. You guys are very quiet this morning. You know, when Jesus was on the boat... Mark 4, and it says the wind and the waves are crashing against his boat. Some of you this morning stood up. You said, yeah, that's me. That's me. Listen to what the the scripture says. It says, then he, Jesus, arose, and he rebuked the wind. Listen, the wind is an unseen force. You don't see wind. You see the effect of it. You see a, a tree blowing from wind, but you don't see wind itself. It's an unseen force. And the scripture says that Jesus rebuked the wind and then he spoke to the waves. The waves is the scene, the natural, my circumstances. You see, Jesus understood that he needed to first take authority in the spirit before he could start to speak to the natural. I want to give an example this morning. Maybe you suffered with depression most of your life. And it is a spirit of depression. It's a spirit. Church, we cannot get spooked out and freaked out every time we say a spirit. We have to understand we are in a war in the spirit realm. And people are like, oh, no, we're good. We're fine. Let's not go there. That's a bit scary. It's not scary. We have authority. But you've been struggling with a spirit of depression that has oppressed you and kept you bound. And I believe this morning we're going to deal that thing. We're ready to start dealing things in the spirit this morning. And what happens is we're going to bind a spirit of depression. Matthew 18 says, consider it bound. Consider it bound. In other words, we bind a spirit of depression. It no longer has a hold on you. It no longer has power over you. But now you leave the building and a memory is triggered. Or something that makes you anxious jumps up at you. And you walk out and you say, you see, this whole deliverance thing doesn't work. This whole prayer, I'm depressed. I'm a depressant. Listen, you've just unbound that spirit. You have to consider it bound, but then what do we need to do? We need to start to speak to the waves. We need to start to renew our mind. We need to start to take the truth of God's word and apply it to our life to change the way I speak, to change the way I think, to change the way I react to situations. And now I start to speak to the waves. We have to receive this truth that what I have bound on earth, it is bound. It is done. It is done. The prophet says, strike the enemy at Aphek until you have destroyed them. You see, Aphek was a place where the enemy had gained territory and almost superiority. How many of you this morning can say, yes, I have one of those areas in my life where it feels like there's just defeat after defeat in that same area over 
and over and over. Is there anyone here this morning? There's an A. What is that A effect to you? What is that place? The prophet says, you strike there. Until, listen church, until the enemy is destroyed. The word of the Lord is saying, strike until your enemy is destroyed because the arrow of deliverance is about to go forth. Lastly, the prophet says, take your arrows and strike. We need to know, church, the arrows is God's word. We've been hearing over the last two weeks about truth, absolute truth. The word of God has over 8,800 promises. Listen, 8,800 promises. We need to start to stand on the promises and believe that what God has said, he is absolutely able to accomplish. We have to start believing the word of God rather than the lies of the enemy. When Satan confronted Jesus in the wilderness, he was confronted with the word. Let me say, when Satan confronts you, he needs to be confronted with the word. It's time for us to pick up our arrows. It says that Joash strikes three times, and then the prophet gets angry. Strange, there was no instruction. But there must have been more than three arrows if he got upset, right? Because he said, pick up the arrows. And then he only struck three times, and the prophet gets angry. Church, this shows us that we're going to need to strike and strike and strike again until the enemy is utterly destroyed. We cannot stop short. I cannot say, but I've done this. I've tried this. I've said this. I've prayed this. You continue to pick up your arrow and you strike at your enemy until he is destroyed. Because we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Because the arrow of victory has already been sent forth. Now we destroy the enemy. You see, when you start to have feelings like I'm no good, I take the arrow of God's word and I say that I've been created for good works. I am his handiwork. When I feel unloved, I take my arrow and I say because of his extravagant, unconditional love, he gave his son for me. When I feel anxious, I take my arrow and I say, I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. When you feel like you're a mistake and you should never have been born, you take your arrow and you say, before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew me. He called me by name. He predestined me. He ordained me. And he anointed me. When my future feels hopeless, 
I thank him that my future is filled with hope. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. When I feel unwanted and rejected, I take my arrow. I've been adopted as a daughter and a son. And not only that, I have the privilege of crying out, Abba, 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 Father. When I am weak and weary, I take my arrow and I say in this very moment, his strength is being perfected in my weakness. And I strike and I strike until the enemy is destroyed. Church, I want us to get this this morning. You are not a product, sorry, you are not a victim of your past. Can I say that again? You are not a victim of your past. The enemy wants you to believe you are. Your past is your story, becomes part of your story when God's hand is on it. You are not a victim of your past. You are a product of God's grace. You are a product of God's grace. And like I said earlier, we need to understand that when we go into war and we start to do things God's way, he steps forward and he displays a characteristic about him being a God of war. When the disciples are in the boat, it says, listen, he's calmed the waves and they say, who is this man? Think about it. They've walked with Jesus. They've watched him turn water into wine. They've watched him heal the sick, cast out demons. They say, who is this man? Listen, why? Because he has such authority that even the wind, the unseen, the waves, the seen, obey him. You see, their storm became a place of new revelation where Jesus steps forward and he demonstrates a power they've never seen before. Jesus wants to do the same for you and for me this morning. We serve a God who has not surrendered his authority. He never has. He never will. And church, this is the absolute truth. And at the end of this book, it says, we win. We win. Amen. Our enemy is defeated. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to start to close now this morning. We're going to go into warfare. I want to ask a question this morning, church. Are we ready to pick up our weapon? Because you cannot pick it up and hang it on your arm, and that's where it stays. We need to use it. God's given us weapons. Are we ready this morning to pick up our weapon? Are we willing and ready to say, God, I ask you put your hand on me. And I choose, like Pastor Ryan said two weeks ago, if we are to take your life raft away, you know, your corporate worship, all these great things that happen in church, if we take that away, are we able to still worship Monday to Saturday like we worship on a Sunday? Are we saying this morning, God, put your hand on me and I'm willing to take this truth and draw into the presence of God? 
allow his arms to wrap around me, incline my ear to listen. And when he gives me strategy and instruction, I don't debate it. I don't argue it. I obey as he gives me instruction. Are we willing this morning, church, to say, God, I swing the windows of my heart open. Holy Spirit, show me things in my life where the enemy is gaining territory. He's getting entry in my life. I ask that you expose those areas. And I want to say this morning, we're going to open up this altar during worship. And if the Holy Spirit highlights something, come and kneel down and repent. We cannot ask God to set us free, like I said earlier, but I've handcuffed myself to the demon that keeps on going at me. I need to get rid of that. I need to repent. I need to turn away from my sin and run hard after God. And maybe it means kneeling here and releasing forgiveness to someone else because we cannot expect God to forgive us if I refuse to forgive those who have wronged me. And then church, I want to shoot the arrow of deliverance this morning. We're going to go into a time of prayer, of worship, where we start to believe that the arrow of victory has been shot forth. And then we need to take Matthew 18 and says, what I bind on earth, I consider it done. Church, you've got to speak to me. Do you consider it done this morning? You have to believe that we cannot walk out and unbind the thing we've just bound. And then are we willing to take our arrows? When you leave here today, I don't go with you. The band doesn't go with you. No one goes with you. It's you and it's God. And you don't look at your circumstances and you say, it didn't work. I strike and I strike and I strike until complete victory, complete destruction of my enemy.